0: Today, I have something sweet and something spicy. Even if you've never had these products, I'm pretty sure you've heard of them. Stick around and enjoy episode 63, Krispy Kreme and Texas Pete. Hey everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Curtis, and this is the weekly podcast where I cover everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. I can't believe we're already winding down to Christmas again. I also can't believe that this pandemic is still going on, but I hope everybody was able to get ready for Christmas in spite of the pandemic, and I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Now, if you're new to the show, I started it way back in August last year. I think it was August anyway. It was somewhere around that time. Now, my very first episode was Moonshine, but now I have two nevers. The first one is, I never went back and listened to episode one since I recorded it, and the second one is, I never thought I'd still be recording this show for 63 episodes. Now, I'm talking like 63 is a monumental number, and I guess it's pretty impressive, but I will probably have something more special planned for episode 100 if I make it that far. But if you're here for the first time, welcome to the show, and I promise you, I am thrilled to have you. For you returning guests, you know what I'm about to say. If you like the show, go to www.TheNCEverythingPodcast.com, and there you can listen to all my past episodes, and you can reach out and contact me and tell me what you think about the show, and you can also suggest an episode. Does that sound about right? Right. You see, I've never really gotten comfortable with uh, self-promoting, although I do try to include some kind of self-promotion in every episode. It, it still feels kind of weird, even after 63. But you can listen to my show in its entirety on the website or wherever you get your podcast. But if you want to contact me or suggest an episode, you will have to go to the website. And I've tried to include some some other fun stuff on the website, like a photo gallery of of pictures I've actually taken myself, as opposed to links to pictures in the show notes. Also, if you click more stuff on the the home screen of the website, you'll see an episode directory, and uh, that's all my episodes so far in alphabetical order, and they are clickable. I guess that's not really something fun on the website, but but hopefully it's pretty helpful. Now, a while back, I had decided that I would quit chit-chatting so much at the beginning of each episode and, and get straight to the content. But then there were things I wanted to say that I just left out. So now I'm trying to find a bit of a middle ground. But when you click on the episode, if you look at the episode description, I'll put in the exact time when the actual content starts under every episode description from here on out. That way, if you want to skip all this uh, jibber-jabber at the beginning, you can easily do that. And with that being said, let's get on to the content. I'm going to start out with Krispy Kreme. But more specifically, I'm going to give you a rundown of the history of doughnuts. Now, the idea of fried dough didn't come from one country or one civilization. Apparently, there have been variations of fried dough all around the planet throughout the years. And so the exact person at the exact time in the exact place will forever be a mystery, it seems. But there are a few things in history that can offer a hint as to where this whole donut thing got started. I present to you the Dutch now, I just want to say here that a long, long time ago, the word Dutch was used to describe folks from the Netherlands and Germany, but nowadays it's just the Netherlands. I say this because what I'm about to tell you may have come from the German folks or the Netherlands folks, or maybe a, a mix of the two, but I can see this story going either way. Anyway, there are records that show that the Dutch were making oily cakes as early as the mid-1800s, and these things were called oily cokes. Um, O-L-Y-K-O-E-K-S I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right But oily cokes literally translates into oily cake They were balls of cake fried in pork fat Now I'm assuming that they flattened them out a little bit Because it says that the center of this cake didn't really cook as fast as the outside of the cake And so after the frying process, the middle of it would still be kind of doughy So what they would do is stuff the middle with fruits or nuts or whatever ingredients that, that didn't require cooking Eventually, the Dutch immigrants settled in the United States, and they continued to make these uh, Oly Well, as with anything, copycat Oly began to appear, and people would tweak the recipe and the process a little bit. Eventually, they evolved into what we call doughnuts today. Now, as far as the round shape with the hole in the middle, credit for that design goes to Hanson Gregory, who was an American ship captain. In 1847, he punched a hole in the center of this dough before frying it. He figured it wasn't going to fry very well anyway. Well, what happened was, with this hole in the middle, the surface area and the exposure to the hot oil increased, and so the middle fried perfectly without issue. Now, how about the word doughnut? Well, nobody really knows about that either. Some people say it refers to the nuts that were put into the middle of the ball of dough when the Dutch cooked them, and so you get the word dough and nut. Another article I read said that the Dutch had another version of the Oliekoeks, Cokes, and this version would include tying the dough into a knot instead of a ball, and so you get the word dough and knot. But again, nobody really knows for sure. What is known for sure is that the first time the word doughnut is written is in Washington Irving's 1809, A History of New York. Now how did the doughnut become so dang popular? Well, in the 1920s, a Russian immigrant named Adolf Levitt created the very first automated donut-making machine. He takes this machine up to the 1934 World's Fair in Chicago, and he blew the world away. Everybody left there talking about the donuts and this donut-making machine, and then the donut wildfire started spreading. Now, a lot of people started donut shops, and nowadays donuts are made pretty much all around the world. But this is a North Carolina podcast, and so obviously, I had to talk about Krispy Kreme. Now this story doesn't actually start in North Carolina. It actually starts in Paducah, Kentucky in the nineteen thirties with a guy named Ishmael Armstrong. Ishmael had a general store in Kentucky, where well, he kept his store for a few years and eventually he decided to sell it and move south and open up a donut shop in a bigger city. And the bigger city he picked was Nashville, Tennessee. Well, one of Ishmael's employees was his nephew, Vernon Rudolph. Vernon worked for Uncle Ishmael for a few years before he decided to branch out and start his own business. Vernon knew he wanted to stick with the donut business, but he wanted to start out in a new city. But he couldn't really figure out which city he wanted to try to move to. Well, he smoked Camel Cigarettes, which were based in Winston-Salem, and one day he thought, well, if Camel Cigarettes could do well in Winston-Salem, why can't I? And so that's where he opened up his donut business. Now, we'll talk more about the donut business here in just a minute. But first, I got to tell you about this mythical recipe. The origin story of the recipe is almost as big a mystery as the recipe itself. One story says that Vernon purchased the recipe from a French chef. The other story is that Uncle Ishmael purchased the recipe from the chef and then handed it down to Rudolph. And then this story breaks down into two more possible, uh, stories. Some say the French chef's name was Joe LeBeau and he was from New Orleans and some say his name was Joseph LeBeouf and he was from Louisville, Kentucky. I suppose somebody out there knows the truth but what nobody knows is what the actual recipe is except for those who have access to the vault at the Krispy Kreme headquarters in Winston-Salem that is. Food experts have tried to reverse engineer the recipe and it seems that all they've been able to come up with is that the recipe may involve mashed potatoes. Now, one article I read said that Vernon was selling donuts in Nashville around 1933, but the Krispy Kreme Donut Corporation was officially founded in Winston-Salem in 1937. Now, it says that when he first uh, got to Winston-Salem and opened up the Krispy Kreme, he opened up a donut-making facility, not a store. He worked as kind of a wholesaler. He would sell his donuts to grocery stores and and local stores to be sold uh, out of those places. But also, he got two partners, and they were selling the donuts out of the back of a 1936 Pontiac that had a delivery rack in the back seat. Well, eventually, people buying these Krispy Kreme donuts, either out of the Pontiac or out of the grocery store, well, they tracked down the source to this donut-making facility, and they wanted to buy fresh donuts straight from the source. And so Vernon cut a big hole in the wall of the donut factory, and he made it where you could walk up to a window and buy fresh donuts right there on the street. The next thing he knew, Krispy Kreme was a booming business. Now eventually a lot of his family kind of joined up with him and they opened up shops in Nashville, Tennessee, Charleston, West Virginia, and Atlanta, Georgia, but also several places around North Carolina. Now one issue, I would say problem, but it wasn't a a really big problem, was though they had the recipe, all these different Krispy Kremes made the donuts uh, slightly different than, than the other ones. So, somebody who loved a donut in, we'll say, West Virginia might have got one in Weston salem and it wasn't quite like the one they had in West Virginia. And so, Vernon decided to solve this problem somewhere in the 40s or 50s. I, I couldn't track down the exact date, but he built a central Krispy Kreme manufacturing plant. And what they did here was they would just distribute all the dry ingredients to make the donuts to all the Krispy Kreme stores. And then he installed donut-making machines in each of the stores, and they would make the donuts the same way every time. What's kind of cool is that this machine was called the Ring King, and uh, there's versions of it still used in Krispy Kreme stores today. And here's kind of a rundown of how the Ring King works. To make the uh, original glazed donuts, this yeast dough has to go through an a air-pressured machine, and this makes the, the perfectly puffed donut rings. Then they give it 30 minutes to proof and then after the proofing, it gets fried in vegetable shortening. Now keep in mind, all this takes place while it's moving on a conveyor belt. After the frying process and while it's still on the conveyor belt, the doughnuts go through a glazed waterfall and that's where they receive that perfect glazy finish. And then they're done. It says that the whole process takes about an hour. Now all that automated stuff is for the original glazed doughnut the jelly field and the Ice Donuts are still filled and decorated by hand. Well, by the late 1950s, there were Krispy Kreme stores in 12 states. Sadly, in 1973, Vernon Rudolph dies. Well, in 1976, the company gets reorganized and gets sold to Beatrice Foods. Now, if you're not real familiar with Beatrice Foods, they also make uh, the Meadow Gold, the Clark Bar, Milk Duds, and Dannon Yogurt. Beatrice Foods didn't hold it very long because a group of uh, early franchisees of Krispy Kreme bought it back from Beatrice Foods in 1982. Now, a big change came in 1992. See, before 92, if you wanted Krispy Kreme donuts, you had to get there early, and whatever they sold for the day was made that morning pretty much before they opened. But in 1992 is when they installed the Hot Donuts Now light, And so what that did was people passing by the stores, if if that hot Donuts Now light was on, you could literally stop by and get a donut that just came out of the donut making machine. Well, the first Krispy Kreme in New York City opened up in 1996, and the first Krispy Kreme in California opened up in 1999. In 2001, they opened up a store in Toronto, Canada. And actually, that was only one of 49 new Krispy Kremes that opened up in 2001. And now, in addition to Canada, you can find Krispy Kremes in Sydney, Australia, London, England, and they also have stores in Asia, Mexico, the Middle East, Puerto Rico, and Turkey. One thing that I thought was cool was that in 2016, Shaquille O'Neal himself bought a Krispy Kreme franchise in Atlanta, Georgia. NC State University has an interesting contest that involves Krispy Kreme. Every year, they have a five-mile run, And you're supposed to eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts in an hour. Now, I'm not sure if you're supposed to eat these donuts uh, while you're running or the donuts take place before or after. But the money raised during this contest goes to the UNC Children's Hospital. And now, well, the last number I read was that there are 1,400 Krispy Kreme stores in 33 countries. The donut making machines get turned on at 4 a.m. and they make 20,000 donuts every single day. It says that some of the stores actually make 20 million donuts per year. And that's it for the Krispy Kreme part of this. And I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say Krispy Kreme anyway. So now let's talk about some hot sauce. Hot sauce has actually been around a a really long time, uh, a lot longer than donuts. In fact, they've traced hot sauce back to 7,000 BC with the Aztecs. It says that the Aztecs would combine uh, chili peppers and water and used this spicy elixir for everything from cooking to medicine and even more. So imagine like a really early version of pepper spray. Chile archaeologists, and yes that's a real thing, and kind of a hard word to say, well they found evidence that hot sauce or a form of it has been used since 5000 BC in the Tehuacan Valley of Mexico. In the 1500s, people from Portugal and Spain were using hot sauce, and they really are the ones credited with helping it spread around Asia, Africa, the rest of Europe, and the Caribbean. And to break that down a little bit farther, it was in 1519 when an explorer named Juan de Grive, Grio Grialva, Juan de Grialva, well, he shows up in the town of Tabasco, Mexico, and he has peppers with him. In 1542, Portuguese missionaries went to Japan with some chili peppers. The Turks introduced chili to Hungary around 1570, and it was actually the Turks who coined the name Paprika. The first advertisement for hot sauce popped up in 1807 in a Massachusetts newspaper. After the Mexican-American War in 1848, a lot of soldiers were coming back home, and they had a new love for hot sauce and spicy food. It was in 1906 when Edmund McIlhenny obtains a patent for Tabasco brand hot pepper sauce. If you like hot sauce, you've probably heard of the Scoville scale. Well, Wilbur Scoville created that scale in 1912. In 1921, the Bloody Mary was invented when they took Tabasco to spice up a tomato-based cocktail. In 1964, buffalo wings were invented in Buffalo, New York at the Anchor Bar and Grill. They used chicken wings, Frank's Red Hot Sauce, and butter. Hot sauce replaced ketchup as America's number one condiment in 1992. Season one of Hot Ones airs in 2016. And if you've never seen Hot Ones, if you have access to YouTube, definitely look that up. The guy on there eats hot wings with different celebrities. And he interviews them while they're eating these hot wings. But every wing they eat is hotter than the last one. And uh, it's it's a really, really good show. It's it's funny to see some of their reactions and and... Watch them try to answer some of these questions while their mouth is on fire. Um, Like I said, check that out if if you get a chance. One thing I'm proud of is that in 2017, the Guinness Book of World Records recognizes the Carolina Reaper as the hottest pepper in the world. Now, I know that the Carolina Reaper is named after South Carolina, not North Carolina, but that's still pretty cool. But how about we bring it on home to North Carolina? During the Great Depression... A guy named Sam Garner was really having trouble supporting his wife and seven kids. Well, some of these kids had been saving up to go to college, but the second oldest son, Thad, he decided to take his college money and buy a Winston-Salem barbecue restaurant called the Dixie Pig. He was only 16 at the time. Well, the restaurant didn't do very good, and eventually it shut down. But when he bought the restaurant, with it, he also got a recipe for a Louisiana-style hot sauce. Well, pretty soon, Thad and his family set up a new shop, and they started selling this hot sauce all around North Carolina. But this hot sauce, it it needed a name. Well, they got a hold of a marketing advisor, and he suggested the name Mexican Joe. Well, Thad's daddy didn't like that. He wanted the name to be something a little more American. Well, they decided pretty quickly that they wanted to kind of pay homage to Texas and the Texas spicy cuisine, so they knew they wanted Texas in the name. And it wasn't long after this that they named it Texas Pete. Now the name Pete seems like it came out of left field, but Thad had a brother named Harold. And for whatever reason, Pete was Harold's nickname when he was a kid. So that's where the Pete comes from. Texas Pete is made from red peppers, vinegar, and salt. If there's any other ingredients, I couldn't find them in my research, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some kind of secret ingredient. You know, everybody has a secret ingredient. Well, the family began making this hot sauce, and since we were still in the Depression era, the dad would peddle this hot sauce around North Carolina. Well, this business operated out of their home, and through the years and all the successes, the business is still ran on the original home site. On June 9, 1953, the trademark Texas Pete was registered to the T.W. Garner Company of Winston-Salem. Now, originally, the Garner food trademark was just for the hot sauce, But today, they make Texas Pete hot dog chili, honey mustard, seafood cocktail sauce, green pepper sauce, Worcestershire Worcestershire sauce, and buffalo wing sauce. And that's the end of my hot sauce bit. Um, I actually wish I had more on the Texas Pete company, but uh, there just wasn't a whole lot out there. But I hope you enjoyed the episode. I think the last time I did a a compilation episode was uh, Hardy's Bojangles and Biscuitville. And I'm sure I'll probably have a few more in the future. But like I said, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, I hope you learned something. And if you are interested in checking out any of my other episodes, you can do that at www.TheNCEverythingPodcast.com. Or if you are currently listening to me on a podcast player, then most likely you know that you can go through the podcast player and see all my past episodes. But if there's something you'd like to suggest for the show, you can do that at the website by hitting the contact button. And don't forget to subscribe to the show if you are listening through a podcast player. Uh, most of you know that I come out with a new episode every single Saturday, but subscribing, it kind of helps my numbers. And if you help my numbers, it helps my show get out there and get get distributed better. And if you want to be a super fan, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I have a Facebook group. All you have to do is search The Everything Podcast. And uh, I post on there from time to time. I'm not really a social media guru. I try to do uh, what I can. I, uh, every week I say I'm going to try to do better and, and be a bigger presence on social media, but uh, I just uh, I have a lot to do. I, I I post when I can. But if you're listening to this, then you're already invited to the group. On Saturdays, i post my new episode there too. And throughout the week, if I am scrolling Facebook and I see a North Carolina related article or post or anything about North Carolina. Um, that's usually where it'll go is on the Facebook group. Anyway, though I hope all of you had a good Thanksgiving, uh, for me on this side of the microphone, uh, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. So I have a whole lot to do to get ready for that. We got a bunch of people coming around and uh, a lot of people, way I understand. And so I have some yard work to do and some housework to do. and I guess I'm gonna be a busy boy for the rest of the day. But hopefully tomorrow night I'll start putting together the next episode. And so I guess I should quit rambling and go ahead and get to it. So I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from archesaudio.com and freepd.com.